0: We keep sort of theming that you have to understand your costs. And that just isn't about what you charge, it's about you know who gets paid, when they get paid, how they get paid, when you're involved, when your stuff comes to line, who doesn't get paid. So really thinking about the economics um, because more and more pressure is gonna to become to bear about the costs.
1: You're listening to Decoding Healthcare Innovation with Carrie Nixon
2: and Rebecca Gwilt, a podcast for novel and disruptive healthcare business leaders Seeking to transform how we receive and experience healthcare. Hi, everyone. This is Carrie Nixon with Nixon Law, and I'm coming to you with decoding healthcare innovation. Today, I am delighted to be joined with Tom Luby, the head of innovation at Texas Medical Center, and his colleague Emily Reiser, the head of community at TMC Innovation. Tom, Emily, welcome to the podcast.
0: Carrie, great to be here.
1: Pleasure to be here, Carrie.
2: Great to have you. So, so Tom, start off, um, get us started a little bit and tell me a little bit, a bit about TMC Innovation. I know you all have gone, undergone kind of a revamping recently, and I'd like to hear more about it.
0: Sure, Carrie, happy to share it. It's probably easiest if I put it in the context of what Texas Medical Center is. If you're in Houston and you say you work at the Texas Medical Center or, as it's known, TMC, people know that as a geographical region in town. It's, it's a huge area just southwest of downtown the next question i always get is what hospital you work for and i like i don't work for one of the hospitals i work for the texas medical center and then many times i get a puzzled look after that so texas medical center um, is a corporation that was created 75 years ago uh, to encourage um, health research and education here in the city of houston Um, and we own a 1400 acre plot of land southwest of downtown on which 62 member institutions sit literally right next to each other. So some of the big enterprise brands in healthcare, MD Anderson, Baylor College of Medicine, Texas Children's, Texas Heart, the list goes on, all share common land with us. And it's our mission to bring them together. Um, We run a lot of the infrastructure here, um, including the roads, the parking, the police, those types of kind of fundamentally basic, but incredibly important um, aspects, And we also run innovate, an innovation program here, which Emily and I help to coordinate and collaborate between the member institutions, really thinking about ways to create an opportunity for healthcare startups to take advantage of this massive density of healthcare clinicians, research funding, entrepreneurial mindsets, research universities, et cetera, all located uh, in a super cluster here, just just southwest of Houston, downtown.
2: And I suspect that super cluster nature uh, is a big factor in in driving some of the innovative thinking that goes on. Is that right? Do you have people collaborating together all the time?
0: Yeah, I think that's a combination of, you know, the resources that are available to people here, both, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of people and talent, 120,000 healthcare professionals come to work every day at the medical center. You know, there's billions of dollars of, NIH, and other grant funding that flows into each of the member institutions and a number of universities um, located in and around uh, the medical center, including University of Houston and Rice University, mix all that together, plus a little dash of the general spirit of entrepreneurship that takes place in Texas and in Houston specifically, and it comes out that there's a lot of people thinking about ways to commercialize uh, much of the thinking and intellectual property here at the medical center.
2: Absolutely, and in fact, um, isn't TMC the largest medical center in the world?
0: It is. It you is are absolutely fact. correct.
2: In fact, okay. Well, uh, I didn't know that actually before you and I spoke just before the, the podcast, and um, that is that is um, that, that that really says something about sort of the the breadth and depth of folks that you have working there. So, talk to us a little bit about um, the role of early stage companies and startups at TMC Innovation.
1: So at Teams Innovation, we're really looking to support our member institution partners, understand what are their priorities and what are their needs. We can have this information accessible to us and then leverage that information to go out and recruit the highest quality of startups that are well matched to those needs. Because we've built these relationships over time, we can help these companies translate what they're working on to be well-suited to our health system partners. We can really understand who's gaining traction across different health systems and who's really able to scale in the digital health space, which is a big challenge that investors and other partners are really trying to better understand in this environment. Um, So, for us as Teams Innovation, being able to bridge that divide between the healthcare startup and the health system is really what we're here to do. Once we find companies that are well-suited to the needs of our member institutions, we wrap around a lot of different support uh, for them, access to resources, advisors, and mentorship to help them be successful.
2: Terrific, and how do these startup companies find you? Is it just your reputation and and they apply to, to become part of TMC Innovation?
1: We have several programs that open applications at which we open to the entire community. We certainly do leverage recommendations from our trusted partners. Those recommendations come from the health systems themselves, from our advisor community, investor community, and all of the other mentors that support our programs. Uh, So it's certainly a combination of looking to attract the best talent from around the world, uh, and then also leveraging the relationships with trusted advisors that we've built over the last six years.
0: I would add that, you know, we have a venture fund uh, that we help administer it as well. And, you know, the funding uh, is incredibly important for the startups, but the connectivity back to other investors that, you know, that we've co-invested in startups allows us to, to gain insight to what their interests are and and obviously other startups that might be interesting to us to invest in. Plus, uh, we've established three international programs. So we, we recruit um, startups directly from Australia, from the UK and from Denmark through our BioBridge program it gives them a great opportunity to have a, a unique place to land for the first time in the United States because of the, the density uh, that we have for potential, obviously insight, but customers from their perspective as well.
2: Absolutely. So what stage are these companies, these startup companies typically at when they get to you? Are they very, 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 very early on or are they, you know, are some of them in a much later stage of early stage, so to speak?
0: Yeah, they, they can be pretty broad in terms of their stage. We, we run a biodesign program here where we recruit individuals, so talented individuals from around the world to come and go through the needs finding process of biodesign and then launch a company around a solution that they've come up together. So, you know, these are people, not even companies. So that's like, you know, in the, uh, the pre-plasma stage, if you right. will, all the way to, um, you know, companies that come into our health tech accelerator, for example, looking for the opportunity to engage with an enterprise customer here uh, at the medical center. So, you know, sometimes they'll certainly be through series A, sometimes series B um, funding with relatively big teams and enterprise sales experience under their belt. So, we, we feel like we have an opportunity, you know, the, the types of uh, engagements that fit for early stage through later stage.
2: That makes sense. And I also really love the notion of uh, building a solution around a problem first, right? Not, start, not necessarily starting a company and figuring out the solution, but having a customer in the form of a health system say, here's a problem that we're struggling with. Uh, can you help us come up with a solution to address it? That seems like a no-brainer way to get a company started.
0: Yeah, it really creates great differentiation for us. As people think about you know, different opportunities as a startup, where you could go, especially in the world of healthcare accelerators, which one you might want to choose. Uh, we're very selective about the companies that we we work with. We have to feel like we can be helpful to them. We really want to drive um, a value inflection point for them, and that customer first understanding the customer need and then matching that up with a startup creates a you know really wonderful dynamic right at the beginning that allows them to get early traction and usually uh, a productive time uh, spent with us.
2: Terrific. So. I'm hearing we have an accelerator component and we have a venture component uh, as part of this overall ecosystem. How do those two interplay? Is it always the case that the venture fund makes an investment in one of the accelerator companies or how does that work?
0: Yeah, the, the two are work closely together. All all of our programmatic pieces work together because you know, we're a team of 14. So, there's not a lot of mysteries um, when we, we talk about different startups, but we use our accelerator programs as diligence vehicles um, for investment. That's for sure. There's nothing like six months of in person diligence to get a better sense of whether or not it makes sense to invest. Our venture fund isn't limited to just TMC innovation programs, though, there's the opportunity for healthcare companies. Um, to come to us and then for us to get to, to know them in more traditional routes uh, as well. But it certainly helps when you're thinking about investment to to know the individuals that are behind the companies, to know the entrepreneurs themselves as well as you can. Um, gives you great comfort when you think. And additionally, to know that there's the potential for some sort of strategic relationship um, before you before you write a check.
2: Absolutely, it seems to me that the ability to get to know the team um and how the team sort of functions and works over the course of as you say six months really gives you some good insight as to whether or not this company is is going to be likely to succeed um and in addition sort of how receptive they are to feedback right through through the process of working with them in the accelerator um uh, i know with with some of the clients that we work with you have some who are very receptive to feedback, and some not so much. But, but um, you know, tell me a little bit more about how you engage with those companies and those founders.
1: Yeah, so we're really seeking to understand what their intention is in the Texas Medical Center environment, and yes, how adaptable they may be to feedback, not just from our team, but from all the experts that we bring in to support their strategic development while they're here. Uh, So it's certainly our intention to curate a plan customized to each startup that's reflective of the goals that we hope to reach with them while they're here. Um, but we certainly have a range of success stories uh, and it's really tied to how receptive those founders are to, um, the feedback uh, and iterating on that as they move forward throughout not only the program, but beyond.
0: Yeah. We really love curious people, um, that come here and ask us a lot of questions, really trying to understand the different systems that we have, our corporate partners, uh, that makes for not only, um, Probably better relationships and more engaging conversations, but uh, better chances of being successful um, at the end. Like if you come and tell us you know everything um, and just like make introductions, um, we're a little less convinced that you actually probably do know everything. Curious people uh, tend to be more successful in our minds.
2: Yeah. if, If they believe they know everything, it's like, well, what do you really need from us? Then you got it covered, right? Very true. Yeah, so so you know, you have this network of advisors as you as you talked about, sort of wrapping around um, the the early stage companies that you work with. What types of advisors do you all have as part of your network?
1: Well, it really ranges. So we have a lot of startup founders in our community, some who've gone through our accelerator in the past and look to provide valuable mentorship back to our community and others that have been a part of this for the last several years as well. Uh, We also have a lot of advisors within our health systems, clinicians, champions, people that want to be involved in the innovative process. Also those that have left the health systems but still really want to be involved in healthcare innovations are another valuable aspect of our community. Beyond that, of course, we have different service providers and expertise from regulatory reimbursement and beyond um, that really look to provide both strategic guidance and then sometimes frameworks by which the companies can move forward. Um, So we really take a look at it holistically, um, but really centered around former founders as well as those with health system experience.
2: So how do you define success for a company that is part of your portfolio?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. We were just—it's it, funny, you know—we we always tweak around a little bit of how we tell our story because it's a unique place, right? We have all these member institutions, yet we're not a hospital ourselves. We are engaged with member institutions and corporate partners. We have a—we do some bio design work. We have a venture fund. We run a couple of accelerators, and you know, it can get a little bit confusing. It's like, wait, what is all of that, and and why do you need all that? So we tend to tell our story through the eyes of companies that we've we've worked with before we talked yesterday a little bit about trusted so emily maybe maybe that's a good story to share here as tells a little bit about how they've been able to take advantage of the different offerings that we have for for startups
1: Yeah, absolutely, so Trusted Health is a nurse staff management platform, so certainly a high area of interest uh, right now across health systems across the country and the world. Uh, They came through our Accelerator program in 2016. Uh, We ended up investing in the company in 2018 and 2019, uh, particularly because they had been successful in acquiring a customer here in the Texas Medical Center as a portfolio member of our fund, we were also able to get them additional uh, resources to build out a new customer pipeline when they launched the second version of their product. And that product was first rolled out here in the Texas Medical Center as well. Um, So we're really looking at that story as an example of a great team with a high area of unmet need that was able to sustain great value for one of our member institutions over a long period of time and we were privileged to be able to support them through that journey um, and continue that over several years.
2: So that's I mean, that's a terrific example, and you've worked with you know, hundreds and hundreds of startups, I'm sure, over the years. Um, one topic that we're seeing uh, that is very, very hot right now, of course, um, is the topic of virtual care services. Obviously, the pandemic um, uh, sort of raised everyone's attention to the importance of virtual care, including telehealth and remote patient monitoring. Do you have um, a company in that space that you could, could talk about a little bit um, and, and how they sort of navigated through uh, the pandemic?
1: Yeah, I think it's such a great area to discuss. And listening to one of your previous podcasts, Carrie, around how the reimbursements were recently changed and how that really opened the floodgates. Uh, You were discussing the rule about needing to have 16 days within 30 to have data transferred. And the other thing that I was reflecting on when you were talking about that in a previous episode was that what is somebody on the other end on the health system side gonna do with all that data? And so when we talk to our health system partners, it's really about how are they managing this influx of data that's coming in with remote patient monitoring? How do they need to staff to manage that? Where does it go within the records and how does it all get integrated eventually? Um, So these are all questions that everybody's asking collectively and that we are needing to be aware of as we work with remote, remote patient monitoring companies ourselves. Uh, my favorite example of a recent success story in the space, though, is Patched Medical. They use off the shelf wearables and a proprietary algorithm to detect sepsis at home. The founder story is really incredible, and Rob is one of my favorite founders. Uh, So this company had developed these algorithms already and tested it on retrospective data. But through coming through our accelerator two years ago, was able to establish a relationship with one of our member institutions and only recently started the first prospective study of detecting sepsis at home on our campus. Hmm. The reason why I love this story is because he was really able to pick a use case where there was a care team already set up to receive that data. And now patients are going home with this device and potentially having this life-saving data transmitted to the hospital and that care team directly. And that workflow is, of course, still being worked out through the study, but has really been a key area why I think that that company was successful at launching that collaboration so far.
2: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned workflow, and it's really important um, to Emphasize, uh, you know, workflow as a component of how any type of uh, digital health or other healthcare innovation company is working with with folks on the ground. Whether it's the providers on the ground or the patients on the ground or both, there are operational workflow issues that result from the use of any kind of technology like this, and it's really critical to take those into in, into account because you can have, I think, the best you know, technology in the world. And if it doesn't appropriately fit into uh, an easy-to-use workflow for the providers who are treating the patients, it's not gonna it's not gonna be of use, right?
0: Yeah, it's a great point. And and one of the things that Emily mentioned before is like we like to tap into some of our entrepreneurs and founders who've been through our program and have successfully launched into the enterprises to have them feed back some of those lessons to our, our earlier stage companies as well because companies get tripped up on that all the time.
2: Absolutely. I see that as well. Um, so I want to ask you two more questions before we wrap up. Um, Tom and Emily, quick, quick in from each of you. Uh, what is the the most pressing issue that you see uh, for the, over the next three years for healthcare and healthcare? Well, changes? I mean,
0: I think that the, the easiest one is the, the cost burden that healthcare just generally is, Um, driving into society and how we're going to manage that. You know, you start to see in um, single payer countries, the the capitation of costs because you just can't afford it. And with some of the new um, therapeutics that are coming forward, they'll add additional costs. Interesting article in the New York times the other day about costs in the hospital and price transparency in the hospital. So we, you know, we keep sort of theming that you have to understand your costs And that just isn't about what you charge. It's about, you know, who gets paid, when they get paid, how they get paid, when you're involved, when your stuff comes to line, who doesn't get paid. So really thinking about the economics, um, because more and more pressure is going to become to bear about the costs, less and less opportunity to uh, charge costs without clear justification about how that's offsetting other things in the healthcare systems. We expect that only to become more and more part of the conversation moving forward.
2: Yeah, I, I agree, and along those lines, sort of the the longer term longitudinal data around the overall cost, the longer term cost of care, right? So 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 not just the cost, uh, sort of at the point of care and and at that time, but but how does that cost at that time, infl- you know, influence the longer term cost of care. Yeah, that's
0: exactly right. So if we're gonna eat the cost now, like how are we saving costs on the back end, that's gonna yeah. be all involved, you know, in outcomes and other efficiencies. Um, and, you know, technology's got an important part to play in that. And we're, we're excited about the the potential.
2: A huge part to play. And there's also a little bit of a mind shift involved, I think in particular, sometimes on the, half, on the behalf of um, providers who, um, you know, in a fee-for-service world, we haven't had to look specifically over the for the longer-term cost of care. In a value-based world, that's what it's all about, right? Agreed. All right, Emily, you.
1: For me, I think it's really about access to care and it's a big umbrella, but certainly been a big area of focus uh, over the last year, especially. Uh, so thinking about things like telemedicine seemingly opens up access to care, but what about for communities that don't have internet access or digital literacy? Um, Or what about mental health? How can we expand access to mental health and other primary care practices um, where we're gonna see not enough clinicians to meet the demand? So how are we and how are health systems thinking about access to care ranging from everywhere from getting patients access to internet through the new digital front door and kind of patient as a consumer uh, type of technologies that are really starting to become mainstream. Uh, So I think access to care holistically and the way that we all think about accessing our own healthcare is gonna change dramatically over the next three years.
2: Couldn't agree more. All right, Tom, before we go, tell us what's next for Texas Medical Center Innovation.
0: Yeah, well, we have big projects ongoing here at, at TMC, generally Texas Medical Center, not just innovation. Uh, We're focused on building a new translational research campus. It'll be a 37-acre campus where uh, industry and our member institutions will have the the ability to closely collaborate and bring forward new and great commercialized uh, technologies. That campus is under construction. We'll begin to open up uh, phase one in in two years, and so there's a real opportunity for us to expand our footprint uh, from an innovation perspective and work with a larger community of corporates, academic medicine, and provide that whole community to our startups.
2: Terrific. Excellent. Well, we will be watching and look forward to having you back on the show uh, at some point to give us an update when when the time is right.
0: Killer, Carrie. Thank you so much. Great to be able to talk with you today.
2: Tom, Emily, thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.